Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. And welcome to episode 36 of Crash Course Catholicism. So in this episode, surprise, surprise, we're going to talk about the fifth commandment, which is thou shalt not kill. Now, this episode is going to be a two-parter because holy dooly, there is a lot to cover under this commandment. But before we get underway, I just want to say a quick thank you to the people who have gotten in touch with the podcast recently. I've heard from a number of people who've reached out to say that they're enjoying the podcast and to share their own stories. And some people have written in with questions and suggestions and feedback. And that is going to be so useful for when we have finished talking about the catechism. One of my friends literally sent me a word document that has about 50 questions about the faith that I am totally going to use for future episodes. So thanks, Joe. And another group of friends did like a brainstorming session and they sent me all these photos of like this whiteboard covered in ideas for the podcast. Thank you so much for doing all of that. Um, And to all those people who've reached out, I love hearing from listeners for two reasons. Firstly, because it makes me feel like I have friends. (laughs) No, I have friends, but it makes me feel like I'm talking to my friends. Like I'm not just sending this podcast out into the ether. I'm actually talking to you know, Evie and Hannah and Ryan and Jenny and Mark. Like, I love that. But also, and more importantly, this podcast is not for me. It's for you, right? If this podcast were for me, then literally all of my examples would be about Avril Lavigne and Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) The only point of this podcast is to make something that's useful for you. So the more that you send me your suggestions and questions and feedback, the more that I can make something that is useful for you. So thank you and please keep it coming. Okay, so let's get into the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now let's start with a question. The question is, what is so bad about killing another human being? What? Like, seriously, why? Why do we put people on trial for murder when they kill a human being? But we don't put someone on trial for murder when they kill, say, a dog or a cat or an ant. <laughs> like, imagine if someone was put in prison for life because they deliberately trod on a caterpillar. It would be ridiculous, right? And of course, there are situations where if you killed an animal in a particularly cruel or inhumane way, we might say, okay, now you've done something morally wrong. But it's not like there's something sort of inherently wrong with taking the life of an animal. So, for instance, if you were hungry and you killed a chicken to eat for your dinner, no one's going to arrest you for murder. But if you were hungry and you killed a human to eat for your dinner, you would be arrested for murder. Okay, and why is this? Why do we react so strongly when we kill another human being? Well, we could say that it's just because as humans, we're all part of the same species. And so we ha- you know, feel this sense of connection and kinship and we react more strongly when someone kills a human being. And that's, I mean, that's true. That's a valid point. But there is more to it than that. Because when a human being deliberately kills another human being, we don't just sit back and say, oh, you know, that's really sad. That's really upsetting. It makes me sad. We say you have done something objectively wrong. You have actually violated something in the natural order. And as such, as a society, we have the right to punish that crime because it doesn't just personally offend me. It actually like offends the the natural order in an objective way. So why is this the case? Why do we treat animals and human beings differently? 
Well, the Catholic Church teaches that human beings and animals are fundamentally different, not just in degree, but in kind. We are a different kind of being. So we're not just smart monkeys and we're not just, you know, more highly evolved dogs and cats. We actually have something in us that other animals do not have. We have something transcendent and sacred. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, right? That the human person has this spiritual soul, this capacity to seek and know and love God, to philosophize and write poetry and pray and reason in in a way that no other material being can. As such, we as human beings are not just made for this material world. We are made for heaven. The point of our life on earth is to prepare ourselves for eternity with God. And this gives human life a unique dignity and purpose and sacredness that no other human being has the right to interfere with or to violate. So for this reason, the Catechism in point 2261 says that the deliberate murder of an innocent person is gravely contrary to the dignity of the human being, to the golden rule, which is to love others, and to the holiness of the creator. So in other words, no human being has the right to deliberately take the life of another innocent human being. Now, of course, there are some sort of follow-up questions to that statement. One of them is, what about instances of self-defense? So say that someone comes at you in an alleyway with a knife, and in defending yourself, you kill that person. Is that morally wrong? Well, (laughs) The church teaches that just as, you know, the life of another person is sacred, so is also my life sacred. Okay, And that means that I have the right to defend my own life using reasonable force. So Thomas Aquinas summarizes it really well. He says, the act of self-defense may have two effects. One is the saving of one's own life. The other is the slaying of the aggressor. Since one's intention is to save one's own life, this act is not unlawful. In other words, it's okay to defend yourself, even if in the process you kill the other person, the attacker, provided that your intention was to defend yourself and not to deliberately kill the other person. If, however, you can defend yourself without killing your attacker, then you should. You should never use unnecessary force in defending yourself. So Aquinas goes on to say that if a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful. So even in a situation of self-defense, if you deliberately kill someone when you could have just disarmed them, then that is morally really serious. But if your intention is just to defend yourself, then that's okay. And the same thing is true on kind of a macro level. So if one country invades or attacks another country, then they have the right or even the duty to defend themselves using proportionate means. But just as with individuals, you can't go beyond what is necessary in defending yourself, right? You don't get a blank check to do whatever you want just because someone has attacked you. So you can't say, oh, well, you've invaded us. So now, you know, we have the right to drop a nuclear bomb on you in retaliation. Okay. But you are permitted to defend yourself using proportionate means. Now, another follow-up question. We've said that no one has the right to kill an innocent human being. What about someone who isn't innocent? 
Okay, so what about criminals who have committed serious crimes? Is it lawful in that situation to resort to the death penalty? Well, point 2267 of the Catechism talks about how previously in the past, the death penalty was seen as an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Peter Kreeft says that if the execution of the murderer is necessary to prevent more murders, then capital punishment is justified. But the important qualifier is if this is the only possible way. So we can return here to that principle of, you know, you can only use necessary force to defend yourself. So there have been times in the past where the only possible way to ensure the safety of other people has been via capital punishment because we didn't have the means to keep the the most dangerous people in society adequately incapacitated. However, that is no longer the case. In a 1996 encyclical called Evangelium Vitae, Pope John Paul II wrote that situations like these where capital punishment was necessary were very rare, if not practically non-existent. And then in 2017, Pope Francis actually made a change to the catechism. So point 2267 now reads, today, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens. Consequently, the church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. In other words, in this day and age, we actually now have the technologies and the systems available to us that allow us to keep people safe without resorting to the death penalty. So for that reason, the church teaches that it is no longer permissible ever to use the death penalty. This is actually a really good example of a situation where the fundamental teaching of the church hasn't changed. Like the church has always taught that you can only use reasonable force to defend yourself. But what actually constitutes reasonable force has changed according to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And even if we put aside the question of capital punishment altogether, we have to remember that no matter how bad someone's crime is, they remain a human being who is called to redemption. So the Catechism talks about how the whole point of inflicting punishment is partly, yes, to restore order and to preserve the safety of other people, but also to contribute to the correction of the offender. So even when we aren't using capital punishment, other forms of you know justice, of penalizing, should always be aimed not just at punishing the person who has done wrong, but at also finding ways to heal them, to draw them towards the good, right? So we don't have the right to just treat people inhumanely or to undermine their dignity just because they have committed a crime, even when it's a serious crime. Now, One important thing to remember is that the fifth commandment doesn't just refer to the direct intentional killing of another human being. So there are situations where we might violate this commandment not to kill, even if we're not like deliberately murdering someone. So point 2269 says that the fifth commandment forbids doing anything with the intention of indirectly bringing about a person's death or exposing someone to mortal danger without grave reason, as well as refusing to assist a person in danger. 
So in other words, if you find yourself in a position where you are responsible for someone else's safety and you neglect that responsibility and that person dies, then that person's death may be imputable to you. You might be responsible. So there's this episode of a TV show called Criminal. It's the, This is the French version of Criminal, Criminal France. And it perfectly captures this idea. It's a really fascinating episode. So in the episode, there's this builder And he's working on a construction site and he falls from the top of the building and he dies. And at first, the police think that he was murdered. So they're trying to figure out who pushed this guy off the building. But spoiler alert, as the episode goes on, it becomes clear that no one actually pushed this guy. He fell from the top of the building because he didn't take the necessary safety precautions. So technically, it's his fault that he fell and died. However, they find out that the only reason he didn't take the necessary safety measures was that he was under intense pressure from the management of the building company to get this construction job done really quickly in like an unreasonable time frame. And there's this amazing conversation that they have with the building manager where they say to her, like, look, you know, we technically we legally can't press charges because it's actually this guy's fault that he didn't take the right safety measures. However, you need to know that by putting unreasonable time pressure on your workers, you actually indirectly caused this guy's death and you are going to have to live with that responsibility and that knowledge for the rest of your life. So this is what the catechism is talking about. These situations where we might not have actually killed someone, but we might be morally responsible for their death. Now, the Catechism goes on to give another example where we might indirectly be responsible for someone's death. It says, The acceptance by human society of murderous famines without efforts to remedy them is a scandalous injustice and a grave offence. Those whose usurious and avaricious, so greedy, dealings lead to the hunger and the death of their brethren in the human family indirectly commit homicide, which is imputable to them. Now, that that's a big one. I, I mean, I personally found this quite confronting because I think it actually kind of applies to all of us. You know, sometimes we can think that giving to charity or looking after the poor, that these are kind of like optional extras, nice things that we could do if we're feeling generous. But the catechism reminds us here that if we can do something to help the poor or people who are starving or in danger and we don't do anything, we can be held at least partly responsible for their deaths. That's massive. And obviously, you know, our level of responsibility will vary. So if you're the head of a company that is exploiting its workers and paying them like 10 cents an hour or something, you might be much more directly responsible for the suffering of those people. But even just for your average Joe Blow, you know, like, I mean, there are times in your life where, you know, someone might have to shop at a cheapy clothing store because you're poor and you can't afford anything else. But there are also times, and I know I've done this before, where I've been relatively comfortable financially and I could afford to buy something that was a bit more expensive. And the only reason it's expensive is because the people at the other end are actually being paid a just wage. But instead, I've gone for the cheapy fast fashion option purely out of a kind of greed. Like I just want to save a few dollars, right? And hearing that phrase, those whose avaricious dealings lead to the hunger and death of their brethren indirectly commit homicide... That really hit me, you know, like sometimes we hear those phrases like fair trade or ethically sourced and we sort of think, oh, that's just stuff for hippies. You know, that's not for me. But actually, I mean, we don't have to be obnoxious about it, but we have a responsibility as Christians to try to do whatever we can to make sure that we're not contributing to the exploitation of others, even indirectly. Now, 
at the start of this episode, we talked about how the human person has this inherent dignity and sacredness that should never be violated. Obviously, the most extreme way to violate that dignity is by killing someone. However, the Catechism tells us that we can also disobey the Fifth Commandment if we don't treat the human body with the respect and the dignity that it deserves, even if we're not killing someone. So point 2288 of the Catechism says, Life and physical health are precious gifts entrusted to us by God. We must take reasonable care of them. So on an individual level, what that means is that, you know, I have a responsibility to to try to eat well, to sleep well, to exercise when and how I can. It also means that I should avoid abusing substances, you know, such as alcohol or drugs, um, even abusing things like food or, or medications, things that might be good, but I can misuse them. I should do whatever I can to treat my body well. And then if we think about it on a kind of broader societal level, the catechism talks about how societies should provide living conditions that allow people to grow and reach maturity, food and clothing, housing, healthcare, basic education, employment and social assistance. So we all have a duty to respect and to promote the health and the well-being of ourselves and of other people. Having said that, point 2289 of the Catechism points out that we should also reject a neo-pagan notion that tends to promote the cult of the body, to sacrifice everything for its sake, to idolize physical perfection and success at sports. By its selective preference of the strong over the weak, such a conception can lead to the perversion of human relationships. So basically what the catechism is saying there is that we should avoid turning our bodies into gods. And this is this is what I love about Catholic teaching, right? Is that it's always showing us the kind of the midpoint between extremes. Like, yes, it's important for us to look after our bodies. Bodies are important. We can't neglect the body. But at the same time, we shouldn't make it into a god. And I think this is something that we kind of tend towards a bit as a society at the moment. Like where I live, one of the streets near me has like, 10 gyms along it. I don't know why there are so many gyms on this street. And sometimes when I'm on the bus, I'll be looking out the window and I'm like, honestly, when did we all become Olympians? Like, why does every woman have like washboard abs and all of the men have these like rippling arm muscles? Like everyone looks like Chris Hemsworth. Like, why is this happening? Why do we all have to look like like Greek gods? And this isn't me pointing the finger, by the way. Like I do it as well. I am constantly having to remind myself that I don't have to look like Gwyneth Paltrow in the 90s to have worth. So yes, it's important for me to look after my body, but not to the extent that I actually start to neglect my interior life, right? My, I become so obsessed with my physical appearance that I'm actually neglecting my, my internal growth. Okay, now there are a few other ways that the Catechism reminds us that we can violate the dignity and the integrity of the human body. And these are kind of obvious ones, right? So point 2297 talks about kidnapping, hostage taking, terrorism and torture. Okay, obviously all of these are against the moral law. It also, interestingly, it goes on to say that except when performed for strictly therapeutic medical reasons, amputations, mutilations and sterilizations are also against the moral law. So basically anything that violates the natural integrity of the human body. And there are actually instances um, 
you know, in sort of the medical profession where, you know, people will come to a doctor and they'll say, you know, I feel like my arm doesn't belong to me and I need it to be amputated. Okay. A doctor doesn't have the moral right to remove a healthy limb if there's nothing wrong with it, because that violates the integrity of the body, you know, without reason. Now, interestingly, the catechism tells us that we can also sin against the fifth commandment, even when we don't actually inflict any physical harm on another person. We can disobey the commandment not to kill simply by actively desiring to kill someone. So point 2302 says, if anger reaches the point of a deliberate desire to kill or seriously wound a neighbor, it is gravely against charity. It is a mortal sin. The Lord says, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Now, obviously, we're not talking about situations of like irritation and frustration. We're talking about that really serious kind of murderous anger. And it's important here to note that we're not talking about the sort of knee-jerk surge of anger, that emotional sort of experience that we might have when someone hurts us or upsets us. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience where like someone cuts you off in traffic or they say something really nasty to you and you just have this like instinctive desire to punch them in the face. (laughs) Okay, obviously in situations like that, we're not committing a mortal sin if we're not in control of that instinct. But... If I were to then foster that emotion and encourage it and indulge it to the point where I deliberately, you know, wanted to kill that person, okay, then I could fall into the realm of serious sin. And it's actually important to remember this about all of the commandments. You know, we can be so focused on our external actions that we forget the importance of making sure that our internal soul is aligned with the good. So we can go to Matthew chapter 15, when our Lord says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a a person. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, I've never murdered someone, so I haven't sinned against this commandment. But we also need to make sure that interiorly, I'm actually fostering charity and not hatred in my heart. So point 2303 says that hatred of the neighbor is a sin when one deliberately wishes him evil. It is a grave sin when one deliberately desires grave harm. And then it quotes Matthew chapter five, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, generally speaking, we shouldn't hate people, but you know, some people, some really bad people, they kind of deserve it. And those people, the really bad ones, we can hate them. But actually, if we're taking the gospel seriously, we can't hate anyone. We have to wish the best for everyone. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we have to feel nice things about everyone. When someone has really seriously hurt us, we often can't control that surge of pain and anger that we feel when we think of them. What we can do, though, is control what we do with those feelings. And what we ultimately have to work towards is saying to God, okay, I entrust those feelings, that experience, that person to you. And I ask you to purify them and to purify my own heart. If you want an example of 
truly heroic mercy and forgiveness, I would recommend watching an interview on YouTube with a guy called Matty Hart from Ireland. Oh my gosh. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Honestly, that interview changed my life. This guy talks about how these guys murdered his sister and he was able to forgive them. It's absolutely amazing. If you watch like one thing in your life, just watch that. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Now on a related note, Remember at the start of the episode, we said that the human person is made for heaven. And that's like, that's our, our big purpose. That's everything, right? So as serious as it is to harm the human body of another person, it is even more serious to harm the spiritual soul of another person. And we can do this by causing someone else to sin, especially to commit serious sin. So point 2284 of the catechism talks about the sin of scandal. It says scandal is an attitude or a behavior which leads another person to do evil. So when I encourage someone else to do the wrong thing. Now, I might commit the sin of scandal in a few key ways. One way is by leading by example. So, for example, if I'm a publicly professing Catholic and people know that I'm a Catholic and then every weekend I'm going to parties with my friends and I'm getting drunk with them, What I'm implicitly suggesting in that behavior is that it's okay for a Catholic to go out and get drunk every weekend. And as human beings, we are always comparing ourselves to other people and taking our behavioral cues from other people. So if we're with friends and someone starts, you know, gossiping or swearing or whatever it is, particularly if it's someone that we look up to, we might start to subconsciously think, oh, okay, well, that must be fine then. So as Christians, we've got to be super aware that other people are looking to us and they're taking their cues from us. And look, that's not to say that we have to be perfect, okay, and that we can never make a mistake in front of our friends. But if we do slip up, if we do get something wrong, it can be good to say something if we can, right? To say to our friend, oh, you know, the other day when we were talking about so-and-so, I was being a bit gossipy and I shouldn't have said those things, just so that they know that we're not sort of giving the thumbs up to bad behavior. Another way that we can cause scandal is kind of passively. So sometimes we might not actively be doing something wrong, but we're also not making it clear that we're not doing something wrong. Okay, And this often happens when we're feeling a little bit sort of embarrassed or a bit ashamed of our beliefs. And so we try to have it both ways. So For example, say that you and your boyfriend are not sleeping together because, you know, you're a Christian and you want to wait until you're married. Great. And then your non-Christian friends invite both of you on a weekend away with them. And you're like, okay, (laughs) I don't want to tell my friends that my boyfriend and I aren't sleeping together because that would be embarrassing and they'll think that we're weird. However, I also don't want to put myself in an occasion of sin. So what we'll do is we'll go on this weekend away and we'll just book two separate hotel rooms, but we won't tell anyone that we're doing that so that no one thinks that we're weird. Okay. In a situation like that, I mean, it's great that you're not sleeping with your boyfriend. Awesome. Book those two hotel rooms. But if you don't tell anyone that that's what you're doing, that you're kind of passively allowing your friends to assume that you are sleeping in the same room as your boyfriend and that you think that that's fine. So even if you're not falling into the sin of sleeping with your boyfriend, you are committing the sin of scandal. There's this great quote from San Jose Maria Escriva where he says, if you're not bad and yet appear to be bad, then you are stupid. (laughs) And that stupidity 
Jose, source of scandal is worse than being bad. I love that quote. You can always trust in Jose Maria to like give it to you straight. (laughs) Okay. And then the third way that we can cause scandal is by directly or indirectly encouraging someone else to do the wrong thing. So for example, if someone tells like a really off color joke in conversation and you're embarrassed, so you just laugh along or, you know, that situation where someone is telling you about something they've done or they're venting to you about a fight that they had with someone and you're sitting there listening to them. And on the inside, you're like, okay, you are totally in the wrong in this situation. I actually side with the other person, but you're too embarrassed to tell them that they're in the wrong or to challenge them. So you just sit there being like, yes, queen slay. (laughs) Like you go girl, you tell her, but on the inside, you think that they're doing the wrong thing. Okay. In a situation like that, you're actually encouraging someone else to do something bad. And that can be the sin of scandal. Now, the catechism goes on to say in point 2286 that scandal can also be provoked by laws and institutions, not just by individuals. It says they are guilty of scandal who establish laws or social structures that lead to the decline of morals and the corruption of religious practices or to social conditions that make Christian conduct difficult and practically impossible. So public figures, people in positions of leadership, in workplaces, people who work in politics, these people have a particular responsibility, not just to act in a moral way themselves, but also to create the conditions where other people are encouraged to act morally. That's why it's so incoherent when politicians will say, oh, look, these are my personal moral convictions, and I'm going to continue to hold those convictions, but I am simultaneously going to actively support legislation that goes directly against those convictions. And I think we all know about a particular American politician who may be doing exactly that currently. Okay, we have to be consistent in the way that we lead and give example to other people. So that's all that we have time for in today's episode. Next episode, we're going to continue this discussion of the fifth commandment by talking about some of the big social issues to do with human life. So we're going to talk about war. What's a just war? Is there such a thing as a just war? We're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about euthanasia, basically all of the fun topics that are not at all contentious and that no one has any strong feelings about. So it's going to be completely fine and we're going to have such fun. Okay. Pray for me. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for sticking with me and I look forward to talking to you in two weeks. Bye.